Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. And welcome back to another stabby snippet here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara, and as always, I am joined by my ghoul friend, Jessica. Hello. Hello. And today I am bringing you guys a case that was all of a sudden in the last like month or two, highly, highly requested. And I almost did it for a patron live stream. And then I said, JK, I'm going to put it on the main feed. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are. I'm going to be talking about the mysterious death of Elisa Lamb. So this one is a little interesting and it is sad. If you're not familiar, buckle in. If you're one of those people that requested it, here we go. So Elisa Lamb was born on April 30th, 1991. She was from Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada, where she attended the University of British Columbia, which is also in Vancouver. Did you say 1991? Yeah. Oh my goodness. In 2013, she decided she wanted to take a solo trip to the west coast of the U.S., mainly California. During this time, she wasn't registered for classes, so this would be a personal trip versus nothing school-related or anything like that. Her parents were apprehensive about letting her travel by herself since she was just 21 years old, but their compromise with that was she was to call and check in with them every day just to make sure she was okay and all that. And she agreed. So that January, via Amtrak, she headed up to Los Angeles from San Diego, and when she got there, she would check into the Cecil Hotel on January 26th, which, if you're unfamiliar with this hotel, I got a little bit for you in a second. This is located in downtown LA on 640 South Main Street. Now, a little bit about this place. The Cecil Hotel has somewhat of an interesting and dark history. I'm not going to go like super full into detail because I think it would be a really great topic for like a mini-sode or maybe a live stream or something like that. Let us know your thoughts. But for those who aren't familiar with it at all, I'm going to give a teeny bit of background. There have been some very notable people who have stayed here, including serial killers Jack Utenwager from Australia in 1991. And I probably butchered that, but we're good. And even more familiar, Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. the Night Stalker, lived there from 1984 to 1985. It's a long time to live in a hotel. Yeah, for a whole year. And for those who have also DM'd about Richard asking if we'll be doing an episode, yes, one day. He's on the list. We will get there. Along with this, there's a record of there being an unsolved murder that took place in 1964 on site. It is also rumored this was the last or one of the last places Elizabeth Short, a.k.a. the Black Dahlia, was seen alive. Holy shit. Right? Fun fact, we did an episode about Black Dahlia a ways back. We did. There's also been quite a few suicides and was actually the inspiration for the hotel season of American Horror Story. I was just going to ask, because it seems very, like, American Horror Story-ish. Totally. 
this place had like such bad vibes and stuff that locals literally called it the suicide. So there's that. Hmm. But enough about Cecil Hotel right for now. So, like I said, Elizabeth checked in on January 26th. Originally, she was staying in a hostel-style room, so she had a roommate. This would quickly change, though, when her roommate had called the front desk to complain that Elisa was acting in a, quote, odd behavior and requested to have her moved out into another room. The hotel did oblige, and they transferred Elisa into her own room. Everything appeared to be fine until the check-in calls actually stopped on January 31st. This day, she was actually also supposed to check out of the hotel and head up to Santa Cruz. It was also later noted that she had been seen that day purchasing books and other small gifts to take back to her family, and she discussed with a girl who worked at the hotel, who of course told police this, that she seemed fine, she seemed happy, and obviously had plans to go back home eventually when she was done with her trip. And then they also kept noting anyone that saw her, they were saying, you know, she was alone, but she seemed fine. The point that she was alone is kind of like made by everybody who saw her that day. So it's just kind of something to pocket when we discuss theories at the end. So with the combination of she didn't do her daily check-in and then now not check out of the hotel, family became worried, of course, because, you know, they're in Vancouver. They're thousands and thousands of miles away. So they contacted the Vancouver police, who then directed them to LAPD. With them contacting LAPD, they also decided to fly down immediately because they were, you know, very worried. Once LAPD responded and arrived to the hotel, they searched Eliza's room and they had a canine unit that they had come on the search as well. They said their search did include the rooftop, but they had no luck. Interesting tidbit that I came across was from an article that was actually an update article. So it was done in 2019, just last year. And they said that there had actually been a dog who picked up her scent on one of the windows. So that's interesting, considering they originally said, nope, nothing. Hmm. They also had said they had done a very thorough and extensive search, but didn't search every single room. Now, the reason for that is explained by Sergeant Ruby Lopez, who later said in regards to searching every room in the hotel, which, by the way, there's 600 rooms there, just FYI said, quote, we can only do that if we had probable cause to believe a crime had been committed. So basically what they said they did was they'd go and knock on different guests' rooms and basically they'd have to ask, be like, could we come take a look because we're looking for this girl, et cetera, et cetera. And if they said yes, they could, then they did. If they said no, then they'd have to move on. And I also have no idea if they did this with every single room or just the floor she was on. They did not clarify that. Also, before anyone asks me, it's like, I know you can't just go busting through everybody's rooms. Like, there's protocols and warrants and all that shenanigans. But basically, they just didn't think they needed it, I guess. So they just didn't do it. Well, that and it's like, you'd have to have probable cause to go in. Mm-hmm. So, like, obviously, if someone had, like, a plate of Coke <laughs> in the line of sight, they could enter. Right. Because that's a crime being committed. But, like, you can't just be like, well, we're coming in and looking. And they and I'm pretty sure with a hotel, they'd have to have, like, and I might be wrong. Probably special warrants. Yeah, because it's commercial. Or they'd have to ha- have a warrant for each room. I could be wrong. That would take forever. Even a blanket one for the hotel would take for, forever because it's probably got to have to have some sort of like special wording. Yeah. 
So jump forward a couple days. On February 6th, the LAPD decided to put out flyers with her picture on it in the neighborhood, in that immediate area, and then also online. Then they would hold a press conference the next day, so February 7th, to notify the public about the case going on. Then a week after this, so February 14th, police decided to release some footage that's dated the same day Elisa was last seen. And this caught a lot of attention, and most people who know about this know exactly what I'm talking about. So if you guys haven't seen it either or you haven't seen it recently, head to the sources page. The link is there for you guys. But I'm going to give you a quick rundown and then grab thoughts from Jessica on this. So basically, she walks in and she pushes a bunch of buttons on the elevator and the door is open and stays open the whole motherfucking time. So that's weird. She like slowly approaches and then ducks her head and looks out both ways. And then she gets back in the elevator as if she's hiding. Odd is like the perfect adjective because the whole thing is just really odd. Mm -hmm. She then doesn't turn around and like move to a certain part. She literally backs to the right wall and then goes to the corner, like the right corner where all the buttons and stuff are as if she's hiding. But then she like slowly makes her way to the door and then steps out slash kind of jumps or something, steps in and out and then just like going back and forth and then just goes right out of view to the left of the elevator door, which is, like I said, still open and comes back in with her hand on her head. Not like she's hurt or anything, just kind of like she's just like got it on her head. I don't know if she's thinking or like what's going on. And then seems kind of normal for a sec. But then she starts messing with the buttons again and presses like a bunch of them. After this, she steps out and then she's like moving her hand in this really kind of weird and it looks kind of creepy way. Some people say her looks like her fingers look extra elongated than they really are. But it also at the same time looks like she's talking to somebody that's either to the side or like down the hall. But basically we can't see them. And then she's just kind of like seems anxious, kind of like bouncing a little bit and bending her knees and stuff like between like crouch standing type of thing. I don't know how to explain Mm -hmm. it with not visually. And then she looks like she's kind of like gesturing or counting on her fingers. And then she just just stops and she goes back in. There's tons and tons of theories on what the fuck was going on with this. We will get into that towards the end. But I want to know like what your initial thoughts were with the video. Me? Mine? Yes, you. (laughs) No, the 14 other people on this. (laughs) Some dude just starts talking. (laughs) They're like, what the fuck? (laughs) Well, my opinion is. Just kidding. (laughs) I, one, I'm very curious. And one of the things I've always wondered is like why this hotel doesn't have a camera in the hallway. Like I've traveled a lot for my work and stuff like that. And hotel corridors often it's more common for them to have cameras than not to have cameras. So I'm always a little like, where's that? It's weird. Like the one thing that always creeped me out about this video is the door. People have a hard time keeping the door open. Tara's traveled with me. She knows my flaw with trying to get on an elevator with a suitcase. My suitcase always gets caught in the elevator door. like, Because <laughs> I'm always like, sure, everyone else file in first. And then I'm like, ooh, drag my suitcase behind me. And the door is like, clink. That's um, <laughs> why I have a hard case. <laughs> but like the fact that the door was just like open and didn't seem any kind of like wanting to close. Also, you don't know, like there's no sound. So it could be that the elevator was making a noise. She could be talking to an employee. Right. Or somebody like maybe someone came out of a room because of the noise. But she's acting weird, but I don't know her personally. She could be a weird person. I'm a weird person. Like, 
I can be weird and have weird body language, especially like when you're staying in a hotel, like, and you're interacting with people you don't know, it's always uncomfortable. So that could just be how her body language was. Yeah. As far as her hands moving, it could be a, like an anxiety tick. You know, some people like flap their hands. Other people like play with their fingers and hands while I talk. I mean, my husband says that if you tied my hands to my side, I'd be silent because I talk with my hands so much. So she could be the same personality. Yeah. We'll definitely kind of dive into that more when we get to the theories. I just was curious what your first reaction was with that. But yeah, this will come back up later, guys. I promise. But back to our timeline. So then just a few days later on February 18th, the hotel receives a complaint from a couple who's there on vacation. They're from the UK. They had said that they first noticed the water pressure was really low. It wasn't normal. And actually, quite a few other guests had complaints about this as well. But the thing that stood out with their complaint was that they said they noticed some weird things about their tap water. They said when they first turned on the sink, it was black and then it would eventually normalize out and then, you know, like how water's supposed to be, go clear. <laughs> <laughs> and then they also said it tasted funny. They had waited a little bit on this tidbit because they thought that was a normal thing for LA and probably didn't want to be annoying. But then once they find out what happens, they were like, oh, um, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> we drank people. But, you know, they were probably like trying not to be dicks. But it's a good thing that they did say something because the hotel would send a maintenance man go to go check it out and, you know, fix whatever was going on. His name was Santiago Lopez, and he had to go to the roof to check out the water tanks. He said that he took the elevator to the 15th floor of the hotel before walking up the staircase to the roof. Then he first had to turn off the rooftop alarm and climb up onto the platform where the hotel's four water tanks were located. Finally, he said he had to climb onto another ladder to get on top of the main tank. He said that this was when he noticed something was off. He said, quote, I noticed the hatch to the main water tank was open and looked inside and saw an Asian woman laying face down in the water approximately 12 inches from the top of the tank. He also suggests that, quote, it would have been difficult for Lamb to make it to the top of the water tank on her own, at least not without anyone noticing, end quote. Now, the hotel's chief engineer, his name's Pedro Tovar, he also made it clear that it would be really difficult for anybody to get to the rooftop and all of that without setting off alarms. And basically, only hotel employees knew how to deactivate the alarm and all of that. If it had went off, it obviously would have immediately notified the front desk and the entire top two floors of the hotel. So, like, people would have definitely heard it. Now, after he found Elisa, they acted quickly. They called LAPD, of course. When they got there and got to the water tank and everything, they ended up having to cut into the side of the tank and draining it so they could get her out. Because while someone could fit in the hatch, there's no way they could have, like, easily, you know, extracted her, basically. So, you know, they drained out a bunch of water. It was noted that the tank was about a third to a halfway full. And after they got her out, they sent her over for an autopsy so they could, you know, figure out what had happened. Right off the bat, they pretty much decided to rule that she accidentally drowned and there was no foul play. With that said, though, the coroner was like, there's something off here. So we need to do additional testing, including a toxicology report, because things seem kind of suspicious due to her young age and then her overall, you know, good health. Now, the fact that she had been in water for weeks 
meant her body was definitely in decomp and it was also noted to be bloated, which does happen. It was noted that her skin on her lower legs and her feet were greening and there was also marbling on her upper thighs to suggest skin separation. Oh, shit. Yeah. For the toxicology report, they ended up submitting bile, heart blood, liver tissue, her stomach contents, spleen, and brain. There had been no signs of recreational drug use or alcohol, but they did have some other finds, which I'll get into here in a minute. I do have to give you guys a little bit more detail on her background. So it was kept kind of quiet, but Elisa struggled with bipolar disorder with depression. She was on medication to help regulate her levels and everything. With that said, though, her family said she never had any suicide attempts or had shown any ideations of any of that. Now, besides that, Elisa did like expressing herself through blogging and also she had a Tumblr account. In mid-2010, she had started a blog named Ether Fields on Blogspot, which is basically a website for blogs if you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Over the next two years, she posted things that revolved around fashion, and she also shared parts of like her personal life with you know her struggles with mental illness. So in January of 2012, she had a blog post, and she was talking about how she had a, quote, relapse at the start of the school year. And then that this forced her to drop several classes and left her feeling, quote, so utterly directionless and lost. She had titled that post, you're always haunted by the idea you're wasting your life, which was a quote from a novelist that she liked. She also talked about how she was worried that her transcript would look suspicious because she had so many withdrawals on it that it basically would start to bite her in the ass and make it so she couldn't finish her degree and go attend graduate school like she wanted to once she was done. It really seems like 2012 was probably like a really rough time for her, or at least she was having some personal struggle going on. But with that said, now that I kind of explained that a little bit, they did find some traces of medication that she was prescribed. Side note, I did find a very helpful post about all of these medications, including like additional resources. So if you're interested, definitely go check it out on the sources page. It was really well done and it helped me kind of because obviously I'm not a psychiatrist or anything. So kind of helped me get the path I needed to to kind of understand things a little bit. So the medications were dexedrine, which was two 10 milligram capsules. And this is described as a stimulant prescribed for ADD or ADHD and narcolepsy. Lamicatol, something like that, 100 milligrams. And this is an anticonvulsant and mood stabilizer prescribed for epilepsy and bipolar disorder. Seroquel, 25 milligrams, which is an atypical antipsychotic prescribed for schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and major depressive disorder. She also had Effexor, 225 milligrams, which is an antidepressant or used for like generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and social phobia. And then lastly, Wellbutrin, 300 milligrams, and that's similar things. Um, it's an atypical antidepressant for depression and smoking cessation. Along with that, they also found over-the-counter meds in her system as well. It was ibuprofen and then this other medicine called Sinutab, which is basically Sudafed. So nothing to bring up concern. Shit allergies. Yeah. And then she was prescribed the other things. But in regards to the amounts and when they were last taken, it was ruled that she had taken at least one antidepressant that day. She had taken her second antidepressant and mood stabilizer recently, but not that day. And then she had not taken her antipsychotic recently at all. 
So this suggests that she may not have been taking her medication as prescribed, and that can be really dangerous for people. According to the National Library of Medicine, the use of antidepressants to treat bipolar disorder can bring the risk of manic side effects. So that's a big problem. Like, can make it very dangerous for the person, you know? Right. A lot of those type of drugs, whatever it's treating, is also a side effect. Mm-hmm. And then if you're not taking them consistently, you know, then that's going to mess with your body's internal levels and everything, you know? Right. Because a lot of those have a half-life of like 12 hours. Mm -hmm. So that's why they want you to either take it every 12 hours or every day so that like it's continuously in your system. I have seen when people try to go off their medication, maybe to go like a holistic route, there is a withdrawal that happens. And the withdrawal can be sometimes worse than the actual like anxiety it's treating. Right. Something kind of that's brought up a lot and seen as maybe a little weird was that originally the it had been marked that the cause of death could not be determined. But then that was crossed off on June 18th. And, you know, when they cross stuff off like that, they have the initial and stuff. So that's how we have that date. And then they checked the box for accident. And then for the cause of death, they filled out drowning. So it'd be accidental drowning. And this was just a couple days before it ended up being published. Like literally, I believe it said like three days before. And it was the day before it was signed at the very end with the his signature and everything. I'm so confused because it's like, if they're saying that this was really hard for her to get to, how could she have accidentally drowned? We'll discuss. Don't worry. Okay. We will, because we're going to go into detail, or not details. We're going to go into theories now, because, yeah. Okay. Lots of questions. And then that kind of brings in some more. This will bring in some more details, too. So, theories. There's tons of theories, and we're going to go through the... I'm just going to state it like this. We're going to go through, like, the true crime type of theories first, and then we're going to go through the... There's um there's a paranormal one. There's some kind of creepy shit. So, we're going to go through those second. So... One was, was she drugged and murdered? Like I stated just a second ago, there was no traces of recreational drugs, date rape drugs, anything like that in her system. And there was also noted in her autopsy, there was no sign of any traumatic injury or sexual assault. So they pretty much ruled that out. They still did perform a sexual assault kit, but that never got processed. Like, it's just sitting in the backlog still. Another big one is, was she in a manic episode since she wasn't taking her medication properly? A lot of people do think this is a big possibility, and I watched quite a few videos and read some articles in regards to this, and they think that there were telling signs in that surveillance video. First, the reason that she pushed all the buttons was because she wasn't wearing glasses, and it was noted that she, in fact, did need glasses. And if you look at actual pictures of her, I believe almost all of them that I've seen, she's wearing glasses. So it could have just been she was pushing the buttons because she couldn't see. I mean, that's very plausible. You would know, especially if she's like very poor sight, she would know like where the general area for button is, but couldn't read it. So she's just like, let me just push these on this row because it's somewhere right here type of thing. The popping in and out, they do say that it could possibly be signs of paranoia which can happen during a manic episode. It could be she was trying to see, like, why is the door not shutting? Things like that. And that's also, like, what you brought up, how with the hand movement, it could be linked to that as well. It could be just something she does during a time like this. It's also possible she could have just been doing something as simply as trying to, like, 
kick the sensor to close the door, thinking maybe there's something that'll help it shut. But the biggest thing with this one is like the fact that she that at this point, you know, she may not have been taking the stabilizers regularly is problematic because like we were just talking about, like her internal balance goes and all of that. There was a chance she could have been having hallucinations and that could have been who she was talking to. There may have been nobody. She may have been like seeing stuff. So there's that. And then there's also the theory that links to like her personality. And this is kind of going to go more into the water tank. So she was a person who just kind of wanted to go out and try things and experience things like, you know, to have life experiences and whatnot. But like this could have been a freak accident. And, you know, she could have thought it'd be just like a cool story to be like, guess what I did at this hotel in L.A. And, you know, that kind of thing and try to take a swim in a water tank because like it's been in movies and stuff. But the thing people don't think about is how do people get out? Now, the hotel themselves act like it was so difficult to get into the water tanks and stuff. And it's like it might have been a pain in the ass, but it's not impossible. So the building has those old school fire escapes, the ones that's like literally the stairs. So, yes, it still would have been a pain and guarantee somebody probably saw her or could have saw her. But at the same time, it's like, bang and do not like it's like, whatever, you know, go up the the things and then get on the roof. And then basically from there, you know, go to the spot where the water tanks are. And then there's a ladder attached there. Oh, OK. Where people also try to get hung up, but it's explained, they're like, how does this petite woman, she's 21 years old, she's very small built, like she was like 120 pounds or something, and she was shorter as well. How does she lift this huge metal lid that's like six feet across? Like she couldn't. But the thing was that I mentioned earlier, there's a hatch on it and she could have very well fit into there like very easily. So she could have got in, but there's no way she would have got out. Because Santiago is saying that he found the hatch open. So she wouldn't have closed it because she wouldn't have been able to. She would have just like jumped in. But while we are on the topic of this like kind of a pain to do this but is possible. So the family, uh, her family, the Lambs, they did try to take the Cecil Hotel to court for a wrongful death suit. But it ended up being dismissed because the Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Howard Holm ruled that the death of Elisa Lamb was, quote, unforeseeable because it happened in an area that guests were not allowed access. That's true. I mean, if she had, like, drowned in their pool, that would have been one thing. And even then, they put signs up that say, like, swim at your own risk. Mm, Right. And then another theory was that she was murdered and thrown in there. But I mean, I don't know, because it's like there was no trauma. There was nothing done to her like that kind of thing. So it's a little problematic. But if you do go with this idea, the idea of the murderer being a hotel employee would make the most sense because, like I said, there was all these alarms and all this stuff and they would have access and they would know what to do to not bring attention. Right. And that's very like how to get away with murder. Yeah. And then other people with this, they kind of like question uh, Santiago's statement that, yes, like the hatch was open and that's what he found. But it's like they're questioning the police on two ends. They're questioning them on their actual like thoroughness of their search up on the rooftop. And then they're also like, but if they were being thorough and they really did walk over there, like on the other hand, wouldn't they have seen it as well? Like if seen something open or something. From the sounds of it, he didn't really notice it was open until he was, like, higher, like, actually on the ladder and whatnot. But, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a cop, but it's like, I don't know if you would think to look at, just look in there just in case. Because you have a missing girl. I don't know. 
I mean, I guess it could go either way. You know what I mean? <laughs> Here's the thing. Police have a very hard job and it's like they're human and they can make mistakes. Yeah. However, don't use the word we thoroughly searched if like, you know, you could have gone up the ladder. Exactly. Because like at that point, like if she had been like if she was in there voluntarily, she may have still been alive, depending on like how long she could tread water for or float. Yeah. And then on the other side of it, people conspirize that was it some kind of cover up to go with like if it was an employee, like not even just like Santiago lied, but it was like, did someone higher up be like, you're going to say this is what happened? Like that kind of thing. Like who fucking knows? Some people are really evil. You never know. The other thing could be is that like she was killed in another location. They like held her for a couple of days and then... You know, but she had no injuries. She had no trauma of any kind. So that's what's so weird. Unless they drowned her. That's true. But you'd think if they were drowning her, there'd be like some kind of like maybe some kind of bruising or something or like defensive wounds or something. But there wasn't. But another weird thing that I'll mention her clothes, because I said she was naked. They were in there floating with her and they collected them. But it was noted in like the stuff, the reports and stuff that it had sand like particles on them. So I don't know if that meant like maybe possibly like dirt and stuff. And it's like, OK, what was she doing prior to that to get the clothes so dirty? And she was also like in men's basketball shorts, a T-shirt and a hoodie. So people are like, questioning because that wasn't she was like super into fashion and stuff. So it wasn't like normal stuff she'd be wearing. But my kind of argument is like, well, if she was just at the hotel kind of lounging, like it's like lounging type of outfit. You know what I mean? Because it's what she was wearing in the video. Yeah. Now, like I said, paranormal stuff, paranormal stuff. There's rumors that this hotel is extremely haunted, given all of the bad vibes and all of the death and everything that's occurred here, like pre-hers. So some conspiracy theories try to say that the ghost of one of the serial killers had something to do with it. More specifically, Richard Ramirez, because he was into Satanism. So he's haunting the hotel and killing people from the grave. <laughs> and if you go with that logic, he's stuck at a camp. Right? Yeah. He's not at the hotel, guys. Goddamn. Now, this one is creepy. So there's another theory that's on the paranormal side. And this is this one's taken a little more seriously by some people. It's called the elevator game. So this game originated in Korea. And I have a whole thing on how to do it and what happens. So I'm just going to read that to y'all. It's said by performing this ritual, you're supposed to get to a different world. According to the people that have successfully completed the game, it looks the same as the town or building you're from, but all of the lights are off and you can only see a red cross in the distance. And there are no other living things there except you. Some have said electronics like phones, cameras, and things like that do not work. And some said that they didn't have a problem, that their phones and flashlights did work when they were there. Also, some say that getting back to the real world is harder for some reason. You also get disoriented and forget about the elevator, and somehow the elevator seems to get further and further away as you go towards it. Also, asterisk, because I was like, when the fuck was this first talked about? Was this made up after this story came out? No, this came out before the story, but of course got sensationalized because of this. Okay, so there are instructions. So it says you must be in a 10 plus story building and in the elevator alone. If someone is in the elevator with you, it will not work. Now, 
how to do it. So number one, get on the elevator on the first floor. Number two, press four. And when you reach the fourth floor, don't get out and press two. When you reach the second floor, press six. When you reach the sixth floor, press two. When you reach the second floor, press 10. When you reach the 10th floor, press five. And then when you reach the fifth floor, a girl will come in. That woman is not a human, so do not look or talk to her. If you do, she will take you away. Away to where? I don't know, but no thank you. After this, press one, and if the elevator instead starts to go up to the 10th floor, then you've succeeded. You will have reached another world where there is no one except you. If you get off at the 10th floor, the girl will ask, where are you going? But do not answer her or look at her. Now, how to return. Basically, if the woman doesn't get on, don't get off on the 10th floor. You'll come back. Or if you don't get off on the 10th floor and then press one, and if it doesn't press, keep on pressing it until it works and you come back. (laughs) And then it says that when returning to your own dimension, you are disoriented and confused and that the footage we saw was Elisa in this confused state. And it goes under. She climbed to the water tank and did all of that herself. And what's weird is there was a movie about this as well. It came out in Japan like years and years ago, but the U.S. remake was in 2005. It's not exactly how she died, but it's like there's similar things. Like there's basically it's there's a little girl who died in a water tank on an apartment building. And then the like main characters, they move into said apartment building and then they're haunted by the girl. And it's like this whole thing. It's just like weird parallels because some people are like, did that movie come out after? Because that's fucking disgusting. But no, the movie came out before. And then there's one more kind of conspiracy theory with this. Uh, It's not really paranormal or anything. It's like just straight conspiracy. But it's kind of honestly, I think it's just like a slap in the face to our family. So people thought that this was supposed to be a distraction from the fact that many of the homeless population right there in L.A. because this was in an area that used to be called Skid Row. So it had a lot of homeless people, a lot of transient people, that type of thing. And basically, at this time, a lot of the homeless population were experiencing much higher than normal cases of tuberculosis. And there was a medication, and it was called Lamelisa, and it was spelled the exact same way. So people are like, that's really fucking weird. And basically, people tried to connect this and say that the murder was fake, that basically they were using it as a distraction from this TB issue that was going on. And also the fact that uh, I said she had a Tumblr, there was posts published after she died. But they were very sporadic. They were nowhere near the amount of she posted when she was alive. She was very active on it. On this platform, you can actually schedule posts in advance. So They were kind of random, but at the same time, not because one that really stood out to me when I was looking at this, because you can still see her stuff under archive on her Tumblr, is that there was a post in December of 2013. So like months and months after she died. But really, it was like holiday related and stuff. And I guess it was common because I watched a video. I watched a Stephanie Harlow video and she like had talked to her teenage daughter about this. And she said, you know, it's not uncommon if people see a holiday related post that they like, like, you know, Christmas time and stuff that, oh, they'll be like, oh, that's cool. I want to post that. But instead of like trying to save it, they'll just schedule it for whatever kind of thing. So if she was really active, she could have been doing that with posts she liked type of thing because they were like re they were like retweets. Like that's the easiest way for me to explain it. They were like reblogs or something. I don't know. 
So it's like that kind of thing. It wasn't like original posts. And she did plenty of original posts as well, like when she was alive. I think it's just a bunch of bullshit. And it's just it was just a weird coincidence with the name thing. Like shit happens. So I do believe that, you know, she passed away and this was like she's not alive in some witness protection and all of that. Because even if she was part of some conspiracy, why would she post to her fake identities Tumblr after the the job, quote, quote, is done? She wouldn't. She would just move on to whatever the fuck else she's doing. Like, come on. So there's that. But anyway, any way you look at it, at the end of the day, she did not get justice because we do not know what happens. Her family does not know. And they're like, they don't have closure. I think it could have easily been a mix of maybe she was having some kind of like manic episode type of thing. And somehow, you know, like she did jump in because like like I said, they said it was like if you look at it and look out on like Google Maps and stuff, it's really probable. And, you know, there's a chance or she was like, oh, this might be a good idea. And once she was like in there, she realized it was too late because it's like once you're in there, what are you going to do? So if she went in herself, she probably took her clothes off to not have them weigh her down because like if you ever got in a pool or anything in full clothes, like they get heavy as shit real quick. And then there's also this idea that was just kind of like interesting to add. Some people mentioned like, what about hypothermia and that whole thing where they like get over, they feel like they're overheating and really hot. So then they like kind of like the diet love pass incident that we talked about on Patreon, how they just, you know, some of them unclothed and things like that. But even though it's winter, I'm not quite sure what the temperature situation would have been. I know she was in water. So obviously it's like colder when you're in water, but I don't know if the climate and whatnot would be cold enough for that. It's possible, but I don't know. And, you know, I know the paranormal stuff is fun, like to discuss and it can be interesting. And you can see some like creepy YouTube videos because I watched them and they freaked me out um, about the elevator game and stuff. But I mean, y'all know I am a believer in paranormal stuff. But in this case, I don't think that's what happened whatsoever. And I just think it's a tragedy and it's just heartbreaking because she was so young. And like I said, just no answers. Do you have any thoughts on what happened to her before we close out? I mean, it is really probable that if she was like a blogger and she was one of those people who like tried things, like if you didn't research it, you could see how that would seem really like easy. They may assume that the water is higher than it is. And if she went up at night, she may not have been able to see like how deep or shallow it is. She probably thought like, oh, I can just swim over to the hatch again and like swim out. Like, I think that's what a lot of people think it is. But most of the time it's not as it's not full. Right. So I think people are like, oh, I can just get in here. They wouldn't. It would be one. It'd probably be way too heavy full to be on a roof. And since she didn't know anyone, it's not like she could have told someone like, hey, I'm going up here to do this. And it's possible that maybe she went up on the roof with someone and they dared her to go in and she did. And then they realized that they could be held liable because you don't know how fast it all went down. Like, you don't know how long she was in that tank. Mm -hmm. She could have been in there minutes. She could have been in there hours before she passed. I don't know. I mean, yeah, the paranormal is cool and all, but like the reality with this one is it's most likely she had some sort of like break had some sort of manic break and went up there. The only thing I think about is like with drugs is that there are some drugs that go into the system. And if she was in that water tank for weeks, it could have left her system. I'm surprised they found anything in her system. Right. Because she'd been in there a long time and her body was like such a like rapid decomp at that point. 
Right. Which is also like I have thoughts about like the, with her medication. We don't actually know if she was taking all her medications in the right dosages or not, because if she was in there, like depending on how she took her meds, because that's a cocktail of meds, her half-life, like she could have been on the tail end of them. And then when she went in there, if she was alive for a while while she was in there, it could have left her body. Yeah. And the other thing is, too, some people speculate if that surveillance video that they released was edited in Anyway, I think there was like a weird timestamp thing. So it was like part of it was taken out or people think it was taken out. So they're like, maybe, you know, going back to like the hotel, something to do with it. Maybe they cut out like whoever it was she was talking to or something like that. I mean, I mean, we don't know. They definitely could have. You never know. I don't know how high tech all that stuff works. But at the end of the day, like, it's just really sad because a young lady lost her life and just her family will honestly probably never know what happened. Right. That's truly the sad part about this. Mm -hmm. So that is going to wrap things up for today. Thank you guys who suggested this case to us. I learned a lot actually diving more into it because when I had heard about it previously, it had been more just talking about like the elevator game and stuff. So it was good to like actually get educated on the other side of things. So yeah, thank you guys. But um, we're going to go ahead and end things here for today. We will be back on Monday for a regular episode. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.